Good morning. Good morning. We had a lot of rain this past week, and now it's like spring has sprung a little Mm bit. Uh, I know it's like the fake out March spring moment, uh, because there's always going to be like the cold winter, weathery, windy stuff that happens, you know, in later March, early April. But like the trees are starting to put out new leaves out my window. I know. It's It's getting nice over here, too. The snow. We had a... A little bit of snow right at the end, like literally right at the end of winter. Um, but it's okay. It's over now. It is all blooming and getting nice again. <laughs> How do your itty bitty little dogs do with the snow? They're like, all right. They're just, they enjoy like going outside and playing in it for like yeah. a minute. <laughs> but if they're in it for too long, they get really, really cold. Their paws get really cold. And they'll yeah. literally, like, just stop moving. They'll just stand there and, like, put their front paw up in the air. Like, Aww. just, like, limp in front of their body. Like, <laughs> like just the little limp paw. And it's like, all right. And then we, uh, we'll literally, like, pick them up and carry them and wipe their paws yeah. off. And you got to be careful uh, with the salt because they salt the roads and the um, the sidewalks so that yeah. It doesn't ice over, and if the salt gets stuck between their little paws and then they go in the ice, it can burn their paw really bad. Oh, no. I know. So you have to just be careful. We've never had it be too bad. One time when we first moved here, we walked out in the snow, and I don't. I think it was Harrison was just, like, crying. And we're like, what happened? What did you step on? We thought, like, he stepped on something sharp, like, under the snow or something. Mm-hmm. But it was just, like, a little piece of salt got stuck between his little paw pads, and we just chucked it out and he was fine but they're, they like it they're just fussy because if they have to go potty and we take them out and they don't want to go in the snow but they have to go potty they yeah just, they won't go but then as soon as we come back in they're like crying like they want to go hello we have to go outside <laughs> yeah so we're figuring it out we're figuring it out oh those little rascals mm. um do you have anything i have a um some podcast business to begin with oh Okay. Yes. So we're going to renumber the episodes. Oh, I warned okay. everybody last week. <laughs> so when this episode comes out, this is going to come out as season five, episode 33. Okay. Okay. So that means that episode one of this season, which is currently season six, episode one, will convert yes. to episode 30 of, epi- of season five. And so okay. on. So 30, okay. 31, 32, leading up to today, episode 33. Great. Okay. Okay. All right. Just to get that out of the way in case anyone's confused because you were listening to season six and now you're listening to season five. <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes the most sense. I think so too. So this is the lost season. <laughs> I love it. Get into it. Um, and other than that, I have one, I have one recommendation. Okay. We started watching Abbott Elementary on, I think it's HBO. I want to say HBO. Have you heard of it? I don't think that's right. I think it's something else, but I I have watched it. Not all of it. I've watched maybe like four or so episodes. Okay. I I think I'm watching it on the HBO app. I don't know what it's on. I'm not really sure, but it's really funny. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. 
And it's very The Office, right? Yeah, it's got a very Office vibe in an elementary school sort of environment. Um, you know, it's got that sort of, yeah, it's that kind of vibe. But it's it's so good. It's yeah. so funny. It's like the perfect show to have on to just like laugh and enjoy. It kind of gives me uh, Modern Family kind of vibes too. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Anyway, so we've been watching that and really enjoying it lately. Uh, and Cute. that is, I think. Oh, and oh, I have an update on my feelings on a show I, I mentioned. Great. Carnival Row. Yes. Uh, it's fine. I, 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 we're closer to the end of it. I think we finished, yeah, we, we finished season one. We're like about a third of the way through season two. In the weeks since I announced I started watching it, like in real yeah. time, they announced that season two will be the final season. Yes. And they released, I think, just a couple of days ago, like the final two episodes to kind of wrap it up. So they're going to finish it uh-huh. out, which is good. It's worth watching to the end. So we're going to watch it to the end. And I'm not like, begr- I'm not like, ugh, I have to finish watching this. Because right. I will say, they, they do this thing where it's like multiple storylines that you're following. They don't necessarily all connect. They kind of do, but I'm not seeing any major connections between some of them. Okay. And I think the ones that are like meant to be secondary tertiary are far more interesting. And if if it was just that, I bet the show would last. It's the uh, sort of main two storylines that are like a little bit little blah. Yeah, just the the connections between the characters that you're supposed to care so much about. That's the whole core of like Cara Delevingne's storyline and Orlando Bloom's. Mm. have either been super rushed, super, mm. super rushed, or they haven't been, like, there's no real Developed. chemistry between the actors. Mm. So, you know, I think it's fine. funny, but I think it's funny that you're like, I have to provide an update on my feelings because I'm pretty sure your feelings the first time were, it's fine. Yep. And now your feelings are, it's fine. Yep, my feelings are, I was, like, holding out because I had only seen a few episodes and I did feel like it was improving. Yeah. And Orlando Bloom is I, – I did develop a little bit more of a respect for him from this role. i not a huge Orlando Bloom fan other than really? Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, other than to Lord of fair, the Rings. I think I only know Orlando Bloom from Lord of the Rings. And I might have seen one – he was in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, right? Yeah, he was in all of them. And this is going to be a hot take. <laughs> maybe maybe unpopular take. Okay. Uh, I'm going to call my brother out for saying this. I don't know if he still feels this way, but I totally agree with him. I've stolen this point of view from him. It's kind of like a really good mark of a good actor. This isn't new information. But like when you could see an actor play multiple roles that are so different and they're so good in both roles, you know, no matter what. And then there are the actors that if anyone else played that role besides them, nothing would have really changed. Oh, yeah. And he, my brother and I were talking about the Pirates movies back in the day. And he was like, Johnny Depp, no one could see anyone else playing that role. But Keira Knightley or Orlando Bloom, did it really matter? Either no. one of them? That's kind of how I feel about them in most of the roles I see them in. Keira Knightley as well. Sorry. <laughs> there is um, <laughs> I have, just the other day, I found out that there is going to be a new movie coming out where uh, Anne Hathaway is one of the main... Did you hear about this? I, I did, yes. A little bit. Okay. 
Anne Hathaway and Michaela Cole are going to be playing opposite each other. Um, it's going to be like a lesbian love story. And the music is the uh, going to be written by Charlie XCX. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I have to see this movie. I love Michaela Cole. I think is one of the most talented actors out there right now. So I'm very excited about this. I'm so excited. I'm perplexed. I did not see this coming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. I just saw a little um, headline, so I don't know much about it. Yeah, I I think it's probably just like in the earliest stages. Uh, of like development, you know, well, obviously casting, but is Michaela um, Cole like writing it as well? You know, I don't know because she did um, both good... for I May Destroy You, right? Or I Will Destroy You, didn't she? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Write that too, I feel like. I think she did, yeah. So if she's involved in the writing as well, that just even more like boasts for it, yeah. That'd be cool, yeah. I'm excited, I, I really yeah. like Anne Hathaway. I, you know, it's funny. I, I'm ambivalent on her. Um, she's the Devil Wears Prada woman, right? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, I, listen, there are. It, it was funny because when you were talking about Kira Knightley, this is like a little bit of a, a Glenn Close, Meryl Streep thing, where mm-hmm. I'm getting better about telling them apart. But Anne Hathaway, Kira Knightley, and maybe even maybe maybe this is even the same person, but the person who played Queen Amidala. Natalie, Natalie Portman. Portman. They all, like, uh, they're very interchangeable to to my brain, and I think it's just because they all have really similar faces, which I'm sure somebody is going to be indignant that I just said that, but they all look very, very similar to me. I I see what you're saying, but Kira Knightley to me looks just like um, let me see. Yes, Kira Knightley and Rachel Weisz look very, very, very similar to me. Okay, like I, I don't know who them. that person is. Look, look up Rachel Weisz, and she to me looks so much like Kira Knightley. Uh, different nose, but I could see it. You know? They could play sisters. Anyway, Anne Hathaway was in a movie called Colossal a few years ago, or I don't know, maybe like a decade ago. I don't know how long it was. Uh-huh. It was kind of bizarre, but I loved it. Like she was somehow connected to a larger than life Godzilla type monster overseas. Okay. Okay. And she is, like, a normal girl in, like, nowhere town America, just living Mm. a a regular life. But meanwhile, there's an actual for real disaster going on overseas, and she's somehow connected to it. Hmm. I don't want to spoil it if anyone wants to watch it out there, because it's very bizarre, and it's like Anne Hathaway. I haven't typically seen a movie like that before. Yeah. Um. But I loved it, and I think it made me really love her. It's kind of like when I saw Lars and the Real Girl with, um, what's his name? From the Notebook. Vince Vaughn? No. (laughs) Disgusting. Ryan. I don't know. Oh, Ryan Reynolds? Ryan. No. uh, Notebook. Oh, my God. What's wrong with me? It's not Owen Wilson? No. Gosling. Duh. Ryan Gosling. Okay. Duh, me. A little little duh you for saying Owen Wilson. (laughs) Um, Have you not seen the notebook? <laughs> no, no, oh, okay. I haven't. I'm not saying it's like a spectacular movie, but I just was going to no. say, if you had, you you would know why it's not Owen Wilson. I just know the line, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. <laughs> what um, do you want? What do you want? <laughs> so I have just a couple quick things to, to comment on. Yeah. One is there is a show on Peacock called Poker Face, and it stars Natasha Lyonne. Mm-hmm. 
And it's kind of a murder she wrote type vibe where there's like a murder of the week and Natasha Leone is not a police detective. She just is somebody who she was a gambler. And so she has like really, really good like bullshit detection skills. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of, it's like a sort of, you, you have to buy into the ridiculousness of it because she's like running away from the like mob in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, but also everywhere she stops, somebody gets murdered and she like kind of just happens to be there to solve it. Uh-huh. So it's, it's, you have to like be like, okay, with sort of a, a ridiculous premise, but um, it's a fun show. Amazing cast. Like Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in an mm-hmm. episode. Uh, Cherry Jones, who is one of my favorite actresses is in an episode cliff from cheers is in one of the episodes like you just get like a lot of really great actors um and it's like well done and like fun and she's of course just hilarious to watch so uh definitely recommend poker face some of the episodes i think are better than others but it's it's good i've heard only good things and then the other thing i'll mention before we get into the book is uh ultimate girl strip the new season of real housewives ultimate girl strip dropped have you started watching it yet we watched the first episode last night. I It's ridiculous from the first minute. I do not need Leah to be there. I don't need her on TV anymore. I, first of all, I've only watched the first episode. I'm pleasantly surprised because, number one, it's about damn time. But I get it. They were waiting for Miami to end. But, like, oh, my God. Um, it took a long time. It took a long time. So I didn't know what to expect. I was kind of, like, almost less excited about it because I've heard more about the <laughs> upcoming season. The next one, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But already, I'm I'm into it. Pleasantly surprised by how I'm enjoying it. And I feel like, Leah, this could be her moment to ha- maybe have redemption. Because maybe. I liked Leah a lot when she first came into New York. Yeah. And then she kind of, like, flew off the handle for me. Like, th- yeah. from one season to the next, it was like, wow. Yeah. And I feel like, I did like Heather the- Gay did that. Yes. Heather is kind of, uh, the wheels are falling off the wagon. Um, yeah. But... I like the I like that Leah's like opening greeting to Heather is like, "Wow, how are you doing?" Like that wasn't your friend. You've been manipulated by a narcissist. Like, and Heather was like, "Oh wow, okay." Like we're really going there. Minute one. Oh, I loved uh, it. I also really <laughs> like that they break the fourth wall and like talk about production and yes. what it's like to be a housewife. Like I really like that a lot. Yes, it's perfect, and I think they can like totally like get away with it in this format and it's perfect yeah. and it's so I, refreshing and i loved when portia was, was like thank you bravo and then I, you I, hear, I was just about to say that they're like for the last time it's peacock yeah <laughs> which means how many so times good. have they said it <laughs> uh, love it uh, okay all right let's let's do it let's get into the book i'm ooh, i'm ready mm. it is new spring Season seven. Season seven. Episode <laughs> now you're really messing it up. <laughs> New Spring, chapter seven. And the title is The Itch. And the little icon is the Wheel of Time, so it could be anything. It's fate. Mm-hmm. We're with Moiraine and Swan, and they're, you know, doing their thing, their voluntary work, <laughs> pouring over, like, tons of names and, you know, scrawling new handwriting and meanwhile, sticking the names in their little books that they think Scat, are... Scatting down names. Scat down names, exactly. <laughs> and, uh... Zip-a-da-ba-ba-be-ba-bra. Goodbye. And they're finding really nothing. They're kind of 
just finding a bunch of born with inside of dragon melt. Yeah. Which is like, okay, so they're it's kind of narrowing down their search, I guess. But, a bit, yeah. N- you know, it's not much. It's like when you put a filter on something to narrow things down and you only see like 15 results to decrease. And you're yeah. like, uh, never mind. <laughs> so Moiraine's putting her book, her little book away and Tamara enters the room and Moiraine tries to like play it off. Like she doesn't want anyone to notice that she was just putting her book away. So she makes it, in my opinion, probably more obvious by trying to do an awkward curtsy. Yeah. And she thinks she's successful. Like, oh, I was just stumbling in front of the Amerlin. I'm, st- I'm still in awe of her. <laughs> um, but neither, no matter what, the Amerlin doesn't say anything about it. If this Amerlin is anything like Swan, though, as an Amerlin, I'm sure she's hot. That's my yeah. opinion. And she's like, I'm surprised the two of you are still interested in this boring, tedious work. I like that you just said, that's my opinion. That's my opinion. About Tamara. <laughs> Uh, Moiraine says another um, eyes to die answer. She says, the lists help me govern my thoughts, mother. Mm-hmm. And she looks at her and she's like, okay, fine. And she's like, here. In the meantime, and she hands Moiraine a letter that has a green seal on it. And she tells her, in the meantime, can you go bring this to Karene? Karini? Mm-hmm. Karene. Karene. Yeah. She was in the, um, in the, mo- first in the season show. the TV show. Yeah. And in the show, she, spoiler alert, if you haven't listened or watched, she meets an untimely end. But I think she's sort of reimagined in that show a little yes. bit. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of different. So I'm, I'm still, I'm not letting that wash. I'm letting that wash over me. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but I saw the name and I was like, <gasps> and then I was like, oh, and I was like, wait, <laughs> does that make sense? Did you yes. get those three reactions? I did. Okay, good. So uh, she has a letter for Karene Nagashi, and she's told to deliver it to her in her chambers or her room. And Moiraine is happy to do this because she loves courier tasks, and it gives her an, a chance to explore the private areas like that are left for just the Ajas normally. And yes. she can go in them and kind of like observe take notice of things hopefully without being noticed and kind of get the tea basically Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. see what she can like use to her advantage later on put these things in her little pocket so she loves courier tasks i i i volunteered at a hospital when i was in high school and i was a courier and um i loved it It was my favorite part about the job was being oh yeah like we i mean to be honest, there were days when I could just sit there and do almost nothing all day, like, <laughs> unless someone called. But there were days when it was, like, super busy. And it was fun, like, delivering flowers, like, uh, you know, transferring blood work from different departments. So, wow. And I loved it because I was exploring the hospital. <laughs> yeah. So I get it. Um, anyway, Moiraine loves this. It kind of gives her a glimpse into the future and all that. And... She goes to go see Karene in the Green Aja's quarters, because she's a green sister. And there's a description of the area, which I thought was really cool, so I'm just going to read it. Okay. The impression of a full-size sword was worked into each of the huge white floor stones of the Green Aja quarters. Swords in two dozen different styles, single-edged and doubled, curved and straight. Every door along the hallways was carved with a sword point up, gilded for the rooms of sitters, and silvered or lacquered for many others. 
The tapestries on the walls between gilded stand lamps on bases worked in the form of stacked halberds were of martial scenes, charging horsemen, and battles and famous last stands, alternating with ancient battle standards from lands long dead, many torn and stained and all preserved through the centuries by weaves of the one power. That is just so beautiful. I feel like yeah. I could see it. And I just, yeah. this is my favorite kind of stuff. This, mm-hmm. this descriptive stuff, the inner areas is so, I don't know. I love the grand landscapes and sprawling, you know, all of that. But this kind of um, specific detail in each kind of area, I love that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So yeah. um, I'm hoping we see more. <laughs> uh, so they're in this area. She's in this area. She's observing everything on her way to Karene. Also unique to the quarters where the green Aja stay is the number of warders and the fact that they kind of live and sleep among the sisters, which we shouldn't be too surprised about because we know how the green sisters have multiple warders and and have different relationships with them. Yeah. But she's kind of observing it. Banging. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, She's kind of walking around looking at the warders, and one thing that all of the warders share, she thinks, is a gaze similar to a caped eagle. Uh, It says, not fierce, but full of self-knowledge, always aware of their own capabilities, their their capacity for violence. And yet it was a violence in restraint, disciplined by their own wills and their bonds to the Aes Sedai. That that's kind of an interesting way to see their kind of gaze, like a warder. Yeah. Like not that normal, fierce, typical thing, but that awareness. Yeah. Um, And then she sees a green sister named Rena, I'm going to (laughs) say. Rena? <laughs> I'm going to say Rena just because I want to. And she's cheering on her warders who are named Waylon and Elias, which is spelled the same way as Elias, the wolf guy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when we what we know about Elias, doesn't he have a history with the Aes Sedai, he said? He does. Just saying. If this is Elias, that's cool. I'm um, pretty sure you already know. I'm pretty sure Lan told this to Perrin that uh, he knew of this ability from someone who used to be a warder. Yeah. So, uh, spoiler alert, it's oh Elias. Oh my god. I'm going to scream because I'm so curious. Elias is one of the mysteries of this book to me. So that's mm. really cool <laughs> that we even see him yeah. at all. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. They She she makes her way to Karina's door, and the swords that are on her door are lacquered in red, gold, and black. And Moraine is like, I wonder what that is. And she hates not knowing something, so it's driving her crazy to not recognize what the significance of this is. Mm-hmm. And it says about Moraine, quote, Once she identified something she did not know, the ignorance became an itch on her shoulder blade just beyond reach. And I, that's that feels very Moiraine. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of get that too. That drives me crazy too. Yeah. Um, so the itch recedes temporarily to know what's going on, and she goes in Karene's room. She notices some strange things, like animal skulls. Uh, she sees some daggers. Some are made of wood. Some are jeweled. One is just like a nub. She sees a blo- a broken blacksmith's hammer next to a wooden bowl. And in the wooden bowl is a fat fire drop, fit for a crown, it says. 
And then there's also a gilded barrel clock with hands frozen at either 12 or midnight and a blood-stained gauntlet. Interesting. I don't know the significance <laughs> of all of these items, but they maybe they're significant, so I figured I'd mention them. Uh, Karene's warders are Kareel, who's described as massive with a golden beard and a mane of hair, and Stepan, and he has sad brown eyes, and they're in the rooms, like in the area, just doing their thing. And yes. Therene is busy doing needlework of wildflowers. Stepan is um, in the show as well. Yeah, he's the one who dies by suicide in the fifth book. Yeah. Or fifth episode, I should say. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I, got, I know what you meant. I'm just, I'm letting that wash over me. Okay. So <laughs> Stepan's there with the sad eyes. <laughs> you with the sad eyes. And Karen is doing needlework of wildflowers. Very unexpected um, activity for Obadalasha for me. Yeah. Um, she's standing in her green skirts, which are split, and she has short hair gathered in a thick braid. And she takes the letter from Irene, and because her warders are all in sync and they know what's going on, they kind of ready themselves to go because they sense sort of what Karene is feeling from reading the letter. Mm-hmm. And she says <clears throat> out loud in front of Moiraine, but to her warders, that Tamara wants me urgently, but she does not, and she, but she says she does not know why. And then she leaves with them. And I thought to myself, and Moiraine thinks to herself, ooh, juicy, I just got that piece of gossip. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I don't know if that's that juicy. Because I don't know if a, I know she's just like a, oh, I'm just an accepted delivering a letter. I don't know. That felt, like unnecessary to say, especially since they already knew how she was feeling. Hmm. My, my feelings. I think it was okay. meant for her to hear. But Moiraine runs out and she, you know, has this juicy piece of gossip and she actually bumps right into her girl Swan, who is on her way back from d- delivery of a similar letter to Aisha Ravenos, who is a gray Aja, so it had a gray seal on it. But same thing. And Moiraine knows that these two sisters have a reputation for being very strict and, like, staunch and dogmatic to the rules. So she is like, I wonder why these two types of people were summoned. Like, what are they looking at? What are they figuring out? And Moiraine sort of, like, figures it out all in her head. And she's like, I got it. And Swan's like, yeah, me too, but why don't you just tell me? (laughs) You tell me what you think. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll say it at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, you go. You go. You go. You no, go, you you go. go. <laughs> uh, so my Rand explains that she thinks that the fate of this boy, this dragon reborn, is too important to Tamara to leave it to just any, anybody to find. And she certainly wouldn't want the Reds to find her knowing their reputation, whether it's true or not. It's too risky. So she thinks that she has searchers looking out there for the boy, like certain ones. And these specific people are out there looking for the boy and everyone else is just doing like their own thing. It's not as specific to the quest. And these women are going to hide this boy away when they find him. And, you know, for him to be raised and guided correctly, not brought to the tower like maybe they think. She thinks that they're going to, you know, try to guide him from afar, which we kind of know is, is partially true at least. Yeah. And Swan says, I think my skull will explode. You built all that from two messages and you don't even know what they said. 
Yeah, I think my skull will explode. Um, and they kind of like tease each other about their puzzling skills. And then the next day, there were three more messages sent out. One to Malin, uh, another to Valera Garavni, who is a plump brown Aja. Robert Jordan loves to describe women as plump. Yes. Um, and this sister's always smiling. And then there's a third named Ludis. I should have looked up if this I said I was important. Which, by the way, has been very helpful in a New Spring. So thank oh, you. Oh, the, the my resource. spreadsheet? Yes. <laughs> yes. Some of them I've looked, and I will purposely not mention them because I've looked on the spreadsheet and see that they're not important. So yeah. shout out again to you for that. Um, <laughs> and then the third Aes Sedai who gets a letter is Ludis Danine, uh, a bony yellow Aja with long tri- uh, Tyrian beaded braids. I think Tyrian. It, it auto-corrected to trainer, but I'm imagining it's a Tyrian. <gasps> Maybe it's Alteran. Alteran. I don't know who who because uh, long beaded braids, beaded braids is like Tyrian. Leandrin, and isn't she from Altera? Maybe it's not Trainer. <laughs> it's not Megan Trainer. <laughs> um, My name see. is No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Terabon. Tar- oh, Terabon. That could be Trainer. Terabonner, maybe. Yeah, I probably misspelled Terabonner and it got to Trainer. I blame. My computer. So she has these long beaded braids, and after that, there's no other letters sent out for days. Meanwhile, Eldra Nijaf is raised. I say, yeah, El- you- I say Eldra. Eldra, like E L L Eldra, or with like a little bit of a sass on the L, like Eldra. <laughs> Eldra. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime of the days that pass without any uh messages being sent to further sisters to moiraine's knowledge a a, a sister named aeldra you know extra on it is raised to a keeper of the chronicles and she is described as a lean woman with leathery skin and white short cropped hair Uh, and she is a blue sister I kind of love the idea of an Aes Sedai walking around with, like, a buzz cut. Me too. Me too. There's been a couple... I feel like there was another woman described like that, too. Yeah, and there's... In the TV show, there's the... Um, I forget exactly her name, but she's the one who's, she's the like, blue. going west. Yeah. Yeah, she kind of, like, stands up for... Um, yes. Yeah, she wants Maureen to stay or go with her or whatever. Yeah. She kind of has a little bit of a shorty short haircut. Yeah, yeah. So, she catches Moiraine, this new... Uh, Keeper of the Chronicles, she catches more rain one day trying to spy on who is visiting the Amberlin's chambers. And uh, she knows that now she's on watch, so she has to be more careful. So now she's left with an itch that she can't scratch because she doesn't feel comfortable spying so much anymore. And by the way, I don't know if I trust this Aeldra Najaf. <laughs> I don't know about that. Anyway... That's where we leave off on the end of my chapter. Well, great job. Thank you. My chapter, chapter eight, is called Shreds of Serenity, um, which is chapter eight. And the sigil for it is a lionfish, which is a swan icon. And it pretty much picks up kind of like right where yours leaves off. It's still with swan and Moiraine and 
um, you know, detailing their days in the tower. Basically, the, you know, quests of the Accepted are still happening every day. And so the operations of the tower are in a little bit of flux where uh, all of the Aes Sedai are having to teach the novice lessons, which is making all of them very cranky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though they're, Swan and Moiraine are still getting private lessons with the sisters, they almost wish they could avoid them because their clerical work leaves them pretty tired. And uh, the sisters are, like I said, crankier than usual. And Moiraine notices that she is getting a few more death glares than the other accepted uh, because she and Swan aren't being sent out every day like the rest of them. And so... She thinks all of the sisters are pr- probably mad at them because they're like, well, they could be teaching classes instead of me. It's so, like, it's like when you watch a TV show and there's like a group challenge where everyone has to be active and into it, and there's one person who's like, I'm gonna, um, gonna oversee, I'm gonna yeah. oversee and stand over <laughs> I'm here, supervise. and everyone yeah. else is like sweating it out, <laughs> looking at this one person who's like, good job, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that meme that's like, uh, when I die, I'm going to invite all of the people from my group projects to my funeral to be like my casket bearer so that they can let me down one more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. <sighs> Do you think, I mean, I was always the person in group projects who ended up like doing the most and being the person who hated the awful non-contributors. Do you think everyone feels that way? Or do you think that there are people who are like, no, I I know that I was garbage and contributed next to nothing. I think there are those people out there. I think they're less frequent than you think. I think if, if a group of four people is in a project, I think at least two of them think that they're doing it all. Yeah. And they yeah. both think that the other three are doing bullshit. And I think yeah. at least one of the four is like, great group project party. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think I was always the person in a group project with so much anxiety about how I would be perceived as a person in this group. Oh, yeah. That it, it like, motivated me and crippled me. <laughs> yeah. So I was always like contributing but worried I wasn't contributing enough and probably not contributing as much as I could have because I was so consumed with it. Great. (laughs) Well, uh, so that's what's going on in the tower right now. Everybody's doing group projects and everybody hates each other. (laughs) So Karene, Malin, and Aisha and a few others are still, you know, giving them private lessons on everything from the history of Artur Hawkwing's empire to ancient philosophy to differences in law between different countries. And these are, you know, some of the women that Moiraine thinks have been sort of tasked with searching out the Dragon Reborn. And so she's like, what are they still doing here? And she's very impatient that they feel apparently no sense of urgency. Uh, But she's like, well, maybe they think they have years to find him or maybe they're waiting for their lists to be completed first, but it agitates her regardless because she's like, they should be out the door immediately, if not sooner. And she kind of like asks some questions as much as she can about like rumors to try to kind of like get at why they're not out there. And, but the, the, none of them bite on these, you know, little questions or comments that Moiraine makes. Mm hmm. They're like, um, focus on my question about, you know, theory or history or whatever. And Elid, who is a particularly beautiful accepted, uh, is 
telling you know telling them one day that she heard Adalorna Sedai tell Shaman Sedai that Gitara had had a another foretelling or a foretelling um, that Tarman Gaidon, the last battle, will come during the lifetime of sisters now breathing, and so. Uh, you know, the fact that an Aes Sedai said this means that she believes it to be true. And so Moiraine and Swan are like, okay, so this means that Gitara did have, uh, you know, other foretellings other than, you know, the one that we had observed. Mm-hmm. And Swan is like, listen, we, we know the dragon has been reborn, so we knew the last battle was coming regardless. So, like, what does it matter? And Moiraine points out that, well, if she had those other foretellings, then what that means is the way that she spoke during our foretelling that we observed uh, could have been, like, he was being born at that instant. Maybe the, like, shock of it happening is what killed her. And so they're kind of like, okay, maybe that narrows down the time frame a little bit if she had had these other foretellings, but, you know, hadn't had, uh, you know, sort of the, that moment of shock then maybe it really was right at that time that he was being born Mm -hmm. so they go and get some food and then resume you know practicing study or practicing the test for Aes Sedai um, at night and Mirel helps them when she's not too tired too and so you know as we know the test is you know completing the this series of hundred weaves under you know pressure and difficulty and uh, the first night that they're practicing, in walks Elida, <laughs> while Swan and Mirel are helping Moiraine to practice. And Elida is like, I'm really glad you're not using your work to avoid practice, like, you know, using that as an excuse. And she's really condescending to them about the work that they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, the clerical work. And so she's like, continue, I'll observe. And everybody's like oh fuck and uh you know Moiraine turns around and starts you know completing the weaves and Swan and Mirel kind of double down on their efforts so that Elida doesn't chastise them for not trying hard enough regardless though Elida says that they're pitiful and tells them you're tells Moiraine you're never gonna pass like that and I want you to pass and you will pass or I will make you take off your skin and dance in your bones before you're sent away from the tower and she tells Swan and Mirel that they're pitiful friends if what they're doing is supposed to be helping her and she's like I'll show you how it's done (sighs) and so I'm just gonna read this next passage so RJ writes Wetting her lips, Moiraine turned back. Mirel gave her an encouraging smile, and Swan nodded confidently, but she could see their worry. What would Elida do? She began. As soon as she embraced the power, flashes of light began streaking across her line of vision, leaving black and silver flecks dancing in her eyes. Bangs and piercing whistles made her ears ring. Blows as from hard-swung straps or switches struck her one after another. It was all continuous with no let-up until she completed a weave, and then only a short pause until she began to weave again. And Elida tells her that she has to be faster, that she has to, you know, not only be able to do this under pressure, but that she has to, the weaves should, like, leap into being almost complete. And Boyrene reaches only the twelfth weave before she loses concentration and loses Sidar completely, which had not happened to her before. And so she is in a lot of pain from being beaten and tortured by Elida. And uh, Swan is like, thank you, um, you know, I said I, we see what we must do. But 
you know, Swan is trying to be like, okay, we got it, you can go now. But Elida just tells Moiraine to begin again. And this time, Moiraine only makes it to the ninth weave before failing. And again, Elida says to begin. And on the third try, she only gets to the sixth. And on the fourth try, she only gets to the third. And RJ writes, after a while, the flashing lights and ear-piercing whistles hardly seemed more than annoyances. Only the incessant beating mattered. Only the endless beating and the endless pain. On the fifth attempt, she fell to her knees weeping beneath the first shower of blows. The pummeling ceased instantly, but huddling in on herself, she sobbed as though it would never stop. And Swan kneels next to her and she's like, you know, can you stand up? And Elida's like, she will live. A little pain tonight will drive the lesson home. And says, you must be fast. I will come back in the morning to heal her. And you too, Swan, help her to the bed and begin. And so Elida does the exact same thing with Swan, who, uh, you know, repeatedly cracks under Elida's torture. And finally, Elida says that, you know, that's enough tonight. Even if you manage to finish as you are, you would still fail because you're, you have no serenity in you. Uh, remember that you must be serene, whatever is done to you, and you must be fast. If you were slow, you will fail as surely as if you fall to panic or fear. Tomorrow night, we will see if you can do better. And she leaves, and Swan collapses in tears, and Moiraine, like, hobbles over to her and the three of them, including Mirel, who evaded Elida's torture, uh, all kind of, like, hold each other and sob for a while. And then Mirel goes and gets a jar of salve to put on their wounds and brings Elid and Sherium with her. And they basically undress Moiraine and Swan and, you know, cover them in salve head to toe. And Elid is pissed, saying that she, th- you know, the law forbids the use of power for the one power for discipline and that they should go to Marion to report Elida. But Moiraine is like, I think she really is trying to help us pass. I don't think she's disciplining us. I think she's preparing us and they're like you know besides when has an accepted complaining ever you know helped the matter like that just makes things worse so uh then rj writes elida was as good as her word appearing before daybreak to use healing on them and it was used not offered she merely cupped their heads between her hands and wove without asking and then that night comes back to repeat the you know abuse while they try to pass the test and each night after she leaves, Sherium, Mirel, and Elid, you know, come in and undress them and put the salve on. And, you know, Elid tries telling jokes, but no one laughs. <laughs> and on the fourth morning, uh, so they have endured this for three days, uh, Marion wakes them instead of Elida and says that Elida will not be troubling them again in this manner. And they're like, how did you know? And she says she has her ways. And in any case, Elida apparently nearly earned herself a penance because, you know, she has broken the rules. And Marion says, had she used Sidar to punish or coerce you, I'd have seen her strapped to the triangle for birching, yet what she did broke no law. Her penance would have been for helping you cheat in the test for the shawl. All that saved her was the question of whether it was actually cheating. Hmm. I trust you will accept her gift in the spirit it was given. After all, she paid a price in humiliation for giving it when I confronted her. And Moiraine is like, oh, fuck. Like, uh, you know, if that was Elida trying to help us cheat, like, what does the test involve? Does it, does it mean we're going to be beaten the whole way? Uh, but she's like, well, all of these other I said I have passed this test, so I'm going to pass this test. But still... Uh, despite Swan and Mirel, you know, being harder on her after witnessing Elida, Moiraine continues to fail to complete all 100 weaves. 
And the next time they see Elida, she says nothing but gives them a death glare that R.J. writes should have scorched the wool off of their dresses. <laughs> And all of this is still happening while the accepted are still going out and collecting names. But about a week after the foretelling, that's when the limit of, you know, Tamara's order has been reached. And so uh, the accepted stop collecting names of children born after that time frame. And so the list gets shorter every day. And finally, a week passes with no new name being added to their little books. And so the chapter ends with a quote that I'm just going to read. Nine days after the thaw, in the dim light before dawn, Marion appeared on the gallery as Swan and Moiraine were leaving for breakfast. She was wearing her shawl. Moiraine Damadred, she said formally, you are summoned to be tested for the shawl of an Aes Sedai. The light keep you whole and see you safe. And that is the end of chapter eight. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. Do you have any questions about these chapters? I don't think any questions that you can answer because I'm assuming it's going to be revealed. Okay. Uh, my only thought is, you know, was she t- was she simply bullying them, mm. or was she actually helping them cheat, quote unquote? Like, was she doing something within that that would have, you know, either what Maureen thinks, like, oh, is this exactly what we're going to expect? So that's what she's doing. Yeah, Or kind of what I suspect, I don't know why she would do this, but what I suspect is that she's doing worse than Mm. what what they will experience in the test. Yeah. So that when they actually take... Yeah, so that they're like over-prepared, you know what I mean? So maybe she can't get through... If she can get through this and do 100, then she can certainly get through what the actual test is, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, But why would she be motivated to help them? Because mm-hmm. look, fast forward to the future, she just overthrew Swan and was very, like, vengeful about it. Yeah. You know, so that's not the mark of... And we've already heard that they already have issues. So, I don't know. I'm I'm confused about that, but I, I imagine you can't answer that. <laughs> yeah. I think at the end of this book, I could probably answer that for you. Yeah. Do you think it'll be clear to me by the end of the book? No, but I just don't want to spoil anything that's coming. So I think we can kind of like come back to present day and talk about it when we finish this book, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What was your favorite part of these chapters? Honestly, even though it was really hard to read, it was in your chapters, the the testing she's going through with Elida, the description of her um, feelings afterwards and... uh, like after the first night when they all comfort her and she's like, mm-hmm. maybe she's trying to help me. Mm-hmm. That kind of inner dialogue that she's having as she's going through it and she knows she has no choice. She has to do whatever the I, – she's just an I said I. So she has to do mm-hmm. what she says. And not knowing truly the whole time whether it's it well-intended or really cruel – yeah. And having to go through that, that's such like a mind fuck. Yeah. And I feel like it's so well described that that state yeah. of that very unique state of mind that she must yeah. be in. And it's just it's it it gives me similar like chills and feelings to when I heard about like the torment Egwene was not when she got collared, but the torment of being collared. Yeah. You know what I mean? That sort of yeah. like really unique 
Oh, inner dial. I don't know. That's that's really rough, and it was very yeah, hard I mean, to read. But because it was so hard to read, I think that's why it's my favorite part in a weird way. Yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of watch. Like, I mean, it's basically tactics of torture that mm-hmm. you know people use today of like bright flashing lights, super loud things, you know, physical abuse. Like the only thing she didn't really do was waterboard her practically. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about you? Yeah, I think, I mean, as awful as it is, I I think that's probably my favorite part, too, is just because, like, the, as nerdy as this sounds, my, I've said this before, that, like, my favorite part of these books is sort of, like, the the politics and the magic and, like, how this training works and all of this kind of stuff, and so I just really like anything that sort of peels back the layers and shows you, like, how this, how Aes Sedai come to be and what mm-hmm. it means to be one and all of that sort of stuff, so... Um, I really, I love, like I said, I love this book because it like really gets you more into the history and operations of the tower and the Aes Sedai. So I really like that part, um, as horrendous as it is to read. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what the actual testing is like. Yes. Sounds like we're going to see very shortly. Yes. Um, I'm really interested to see what that looks like and what's involved. And yes. uh, we know that Moiraine is on the qu- the quest and finds Rand. So, yeah, how do we get there? That is yeah. like still this burning question. How do we get to? I mean, I, I of course don't know exactly where this book leaves off, but how do we get to a direction where that is clear? You know what I mean? I'm very mm-hmm, curious. Mm-hmm. We're so yeah. far from it, it feels, and it's a very short book. Yeah. So, and how? F- what percentage are we through now? I would guess almost thirty. Okay. Oh yeah, my Kindle says thirty-seven percent. Oh, see, not too far, not too far off. Yeah, good job. Hey, I can I can look at a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you know that for zero dollars a month, you can help support our podcast simply by rating and reviewing it on whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this episode? Yes, and the best way for other people to find out about podcasts is through word of mouth. So tell a friend post about us on reddit or find any other way you can to spread the word yes and our social media is cool story pod on instagram and cool story pod one on twitter you can email us at coolstorypod at gmail.com we love getting email so send us a note and say hi we also have a patreon if you haven't heard yet (laughs) it's patreon.com slash n and matt and we have a lot of episodes where we do fun things, like we review movies, we play games with one another. It's a lot of fun, so you check it out. Yes, we're about to record an episode with a new fun game that I've come up with that I think is really funny. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, and if you want, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Matt. Thank you so much for listening to Cool Story. See you next week. Bye.